Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of answering your questions, no matter what you ask us for. This week, we're going to follow up on our previous session of questions about Fringeworthy, and we're specifically setting aside the whole episode for the question that was posted to us in a voicemail. Yep. about what happened in the time between the discovery of the Fringe Portal and the actual beginning of the exploration of the Fringe Pass. So, John, you've got that recording, right? Yep. Uh, I'll start out with the uh, introduction piece, and then I'll play the recording. Hi, this is Paul out in Colorado Springs. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for the invite. And his question... What is the state of Earth Prime? The announcement of the Fringe Pass by Professor Hatsumi has to have thrown the world's religions and their political blocks into turmoil. Russia, China, the Middle East, and the African nations have to be agitating against control by Australia, a former British colony and an ally to the United States and NATO. Russia, even with General Barodin, their own man in place, is likely expanding their own presence on the Ross Ice Shelf by military means to counter the American presence at McMurdo Station. China recently launching their own aircraft carrier, is going to be on the ice for their share. Then there's the environmental foundations that will be protesting the further intrusion into the Antarctic ecosystem by non-scientific military missions. A cold war in the Antarctic Sea is beginning. All right. That's pretty deep. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Yep. All right, so this is going to be of great interest to people who want to play Fringeworthy from the very beginning, you know, to actually be Team One. Forget about those people that are listed. Yeah. You want to play Team 1, or if you want to substitute your characters for those particular characters, for those very early uh, partial adventures and experiments on the fringe paths. Or if you're just somebody who wants to just get a, start developing a, a kind of an ecological basis for the things that are going on around Hatsumi Base. It's the politics you have to worry about. The United Nations is, is anything but united. It is, it is more of a, uh, what's the word? It's the world's largest debating society uh, when it comes right down to it. And well-funded. And well-funded. And uh, Paul actually served uh, in, uh, I think it was Sarajevo. And when he's in the military, and he actually served in Sarajevo with the UN and well, Paul doesn't have a high opinion of the UN. His opinion is that they're also the world's largest criminal organization. Okay. I noticed that right off the bat, if you're playing a very early fringeworthy campaign where, like, the portals have been found, hey, look, there they are, yeah. you're going to have a very political campaign because you're going to be there amidst the Russians and the Chinese and the Americans and the Brits, all their maneuvering to try to get their own... Trying to get you their know, own stake. Right, exactly, Pip. Um, 
you're going to be there witnessing as a, a player character, Team One, or if you decide to interject your own characters, you're going to be there up close and personal watching all this political stuff happen. It's going to be kind of hard to escape having the politics in the game. And there will be a push to get an international Team One or international Team Two, depending on how things go. For those, for those not familiar with Team One in the books, who would they? Who are they again? The original Team One from the D20 books is Sayuri Tanuma, Weilei, and Gordon Conrad. Savage Worlds were adding a, adding a Russian to Team One. Okay, he's sort of an add-on. And Team Two would be just as diverse. Should be just as diverse as Team One. And as we mentioned before, they're all rock stars. You're going to be rock stars and involved in, in the politics of what's going on. Right. So, so let's look at the, the base. Okay. And uh, at last we saw, uh, based upon the text that you did, John, is that uh, there's kind of a, a big old tent camp outside of White Island on the ice, which has pretty much every country that could mount any kind of expedition to the Antarctic. So that was China, that was Australia, Russians, of course, and the Americans. Yeah, New Zealand, Australia, um, South Africa would eventually show up as too, uh, as well. It, the very last paragraph mentions that he did uh, board and was able to, to uh, borrow some, uh, uh, some of the Habs from McMurdo. It's only like about 20 kilometers away. So this is a sledge ride away. To get some generators and some uh, stuff moved moved over. The ice pack is solid; it never it, it never thaws. So therefore, you know they could build put you know tents up on the ice and not worry about them suddenly falling into the ocean anytime. Yeah, though it does move. Oh yeah, it does move. It uh, it took me a while to find some ice maps for the area. In the area where the dome is, it's probably moving 30 centimeters a year. But still, that's 30 centimeters. Well, because it's been posted in the various fringeworthy things that as they're walking through the area where the electrostatic barrier is, they're hearing the ice shift over their head. Yes. They're hearing it creaking. So it does move audibly, you know, if you stand there long right, enough. Right. Well, not only that, Trav, but because the ice has to move around White Island and uh, Black Island, that causes the ice to have a kind of a forcing, pinching motion on the ice between, which is why that ice is all broken up. And it's also one reason that hid the uh, electrostatic dome. All those fractures on the ice that uh, in the what we call the lee of the island, the northern side of the island, away from the pole, uh, that's all broken up and, and ridgy and stuff like that. So that's one reason why they never found the electrostatic dome. Ah, it is also mentioned that they did know that there was something there because because the, the ice was humping up over the dome. There's also a small island, submerged part of the island as well. Yeah. Yes, that's that's correct. But no one's ever did sounding and took a look at it. No one knew it, that, that the humping was being caused not by the island, but by a, this uh, this dome that was down there and operational. So yeah, so yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where it's they knew something was down there, but they thought it was just a hump of land, big old rock being slowly worn down by the ice. What no one knew was it was actually the electrostatic dome keeping that little bit of land from being scraped right away completely at that at that point. Uh, from, if, you're, if you look at the map, 
that the area in the map that sh- for what's in the dome indicates it was a much bigger area. Yet, if you look at any site elevations, that area's gone. It's been scraped away. They're, they're just this little hillock where the, where the dome is, and everything else that was there, gone. It was just all the buildings, everything, wherever that base was, it's gone. The only thing left is the is the uh, ring station building, and that's it. It's gone? It's gone. Because it's not centered on the ring station, the dome is actually being created by something else. Something else is making that dome. Because if it was the ring station, it would be dead center of the, of the dome. It's not. It's off to the side. Oh, God, I, I've been playing and involved in this game now for all this time, and I didn't realize that, that <laughs> the portal's at the back of the dome. <laughs> yeah, it's in the southern portion of the dome. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I remember in, in especially in the 92 version, and I think it is in the D20 version, the drawings of within the dome, and there's like radar dishes on top of the old Termellern buildings. I would think something in those buildings is making the dome and the, the, the antennae, the dish antenna, are what's radiating what's making it. I, I hate to say it, I, I yeah I can't take the um, the building drawing as 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 canon. Okay. And the reason why is is if the if the ring station is twenty five foot in size and you actually can see the ring station inside the building, that building is taller than the dome. Yeah, it, the proportions of that building are all wrong, Trav. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> There was a lot of artistic license on that building uh, picture. Yeah, yeah. It's those, a good, it's a nice picture though. I and, yeah. and I've always felt that there had to be something else, maybe some part of that particular installation of the ring station that allowed you know something else. But you know, no one's ever actually questioned it. And you're right that yeah. no one said, "Hey, wait a second. If it's centered on the dome, then I'm sorry. If the dome is centered on the portal, that it's not the the map is all wrong as far as." how hot semi dome should be laid out. So, yeah. But we won't know about that. That's that's something we've never decided. Maybe uh, you guys can add that in as a new piece of information in the uh, Savage Worlds edition. Just a thought. Couldn't there be any possibility of just a general assumption, like like bigger on the inside, or maybe it's partially underground and what you're seeing is just the topmost layer but it's still not centered right if it was coming from the warp uh, coming from the ring station ah okay yeah I I always imagine any enterprising person which means General Borden would be digging right dead center see what's down there I mean I'm I'm sorry that was thing I would do okay the dome's the dome center's here the rings over there what's and this is just road Right, right. Get the jackhammers. Right, right. Well, I'd be thinking they wouldn't probably figure that out until, let's say, they somebody uses the uh, hydrostatic ring fun or the electrostatic barrier function with a crystal key. Mm-hmm. They said, "Okay, it's centering for me. Why is this not on Earth Prime? What's there?" Then they would go back and tell their superiors, "Oh, by the way, you know, we did this and we figured this out." We might want to crack a hole. Yeah, I, I would still dig in the center though, because I don't know about the the the, the life the, the life support dome. I, I, there's a ring over there, and the dome's centered over what looks like a piece of blank road. I would imagine that it's coming out of the road. Yeah, um, yeah, Pip. Uh, what it is that 
uh, in the map for what the under the hydrostatic barrier, you enter at one end and at the opposite end of where the road comes in is where the ring station is leading to the fringe paths. To the uh, okay. So that, that's why we're discussing yeah. this. And it just now hit me after all this time. Yeah, that's right. Wait a minute. <laughs> and reading up on White Island, I would imagine that on the northern edge of the dome, you'll find a lot of dead seals because there's actually water underneath the ice and the seals make this there's there's a species of seals that are unique to white island because they can't hold their breath long enough to get to open water so they only live on white island they, and they swim under the ice catching fish and come back up well i imagine a couple of them probably lost their way and came up in the dome and couldn't figure out how to get back and so you have a few seal car a few seal carcasses in on the edge of the dome Ooh. Imagine a seal pops up and he's going ork 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 ork, <laughs> and they got to do seal wrangling and get him back to where he belongs. Ork ork ork, dead. Yeah, deadness. Yeah, but I think that the, the the number one thing they would have to do is that one for one thing they can't use the crevasse as an entrance because it opened up, it's going to close. I mean, General Borden is, is a, uh, a seasoned Arctic explorer. He knows it's going to close. In fact, Hatsumi would know it, it's going to close. You're going to need another way into that dome besides that, besides the crevasse that opened up. And I've been thinking hard and long on that one. And a horizontal tunnel is great, but that takes several years to do. What you need to do is what they have at hand, and that's drills and explosives. And you do a vertical shaft down to the dome. That's the quickest and easiest way of guaranteeing access to the dome. And then get like a lift that a lift with an elevator because you're going to need vehicles down there after a while. They're going to have to get vehicles down there. South Africa is not that far and they actually have mining equipment. Well, yeah, the whole diamond industry, yeah, they would have the mining stuff. Well, why don't you just use a slanted shaft because they put the base on the top of White Island and they run that uh, armored tunnel from there down the side into the ice and then down to the uh, opening in the hydrostatic dome. So why does it have to be vertical? Why not just horizontal following along the side of the mountain and down? I sort of played General Borden. He's a bit paranoid. The nice thing about a vertical shaft is you can put explosives on the side and seal it if you need to really fast. I don't get it. Well, in case something comes to the portal that you don't want getting out. And they need to seal it off. Yeah, I could see Borat doing something like that. Well, I mean, you could put explosives on the outside of it no matter what direction it's going. I don't get it, John. Well, well, the other reason why, because the vertical shaft will move together. A horizontal shaft may actually move at different speeds. I mean, or a slanted shaft may move, the ice may move at different speeds. It's not going to, John. This is the lee of the island. This is where the ice isn't moving. It just cracks, that's all, which makes it easier to put the slanted shaft through it. The ice is moving, but not very fast. It's moving there in the lee of the island. Not very fast, but it's still moving. What makes you think it's moving there? Because I went and looked at went, and went and went and did research and looked it up. You're not proving your point. The whole idea is that the ice is moving north yeah. from the South Pole. Hits the backside of White Island and Black Island, has to move around it, okay? Yeah. Which means that you have an eddy, an ice eddy going on on the lee side of White and Black Island. So I don't see the yeah. ice movement there. I see it maybe moving from the sense that there's like force from the outside and it's cracking and grinding and stuff. 
but it's not moving forward, backwards, any particular direction, which is why it's an armored ice tunnel. We'll agree to disagree because I was looking at the ice there. It does I mean that's the reason why the crevasses open up? The ice is moving, moving, and they open up the crevasses. Huh? The, the crevasses open up because the ice is moving. Okay, it it, it, just, it just won't crack. I mean, the, uh, if the ice wasn't moving, it wouldn't open up. You, you know, it's not like the the tube's going to be carried away anywhere. It might move a little bit from side to side, and that's where you use electrical heating to melt the ice so it stays right where it's supposed to be. Eventually, eventually, they probably would look at doing that. It would be a slant tube. I don't know whether it would be actually a drivable tube. It might be one of those where they still using a lift or elevator of some sort to get down there. Well, see, the whole problem about using a lift, John, is that that's an awful lot of machinery that you know that you're going to have to put and make work in very, very cold conditions. If you have something that doesn't require anything like that, it's got to be better. Basically, no one has ever done a tunnel through ice, so you still have the same problem. And you're not quite sure if the armor will survive. I think initially it'll be a vertical shaft, but yes, they'll probably look at, okay, vertical shaft is okay for now, but we, we need to look at other ways of doing this. And yeah, they may, they may go for a horizontal, I mean, well, a horn or a slanted, or a slanted shaft. A slanted shaft, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or even, not even a shaft, just opening up a channel. Why do we have to worry about ceiling? Just do a... A, sh- a complete, you know, vertical, you know, opening straight to the surface, down to, and right on down. Just a big old, di- big old trench that has the problem that, that solves the problem of, of having a roof. You don't need a roof. If you have, want to have any kind of environmental control, that would be important. If you want to have any kind of security, it would be important. Well, the snow's not going to get through the electric barrier. You want everyone to know your business as you go and go to and fro between the electrostatic barrier and the base on the top of the island, then yeah, make a trench. But if you don't, then you use a tunnel that people can't see through. And this is where we get to the politics again. Some folks are saying you can put a tunnel so you can secretly move in stuff down there so no one else can see. I can see the UN debates and the Security Council debates on making a tunnel versus an open trench. Well, yeah, I could see where that problem because you know you'd have the the non-military contingent going well this is a world thing we need to be able to know what's going on and you know we have a right because it's public knowledge and the military be like uh right now this is a military operation because we don't know what this is we're going to keep it as a tunnel for purposes of security and safety so yeah i could see that being the main argument yeah, I mean, each vertical shaft will cause arguments because they'll ha- they'll probably put a covered walkway or covered driveway to it. The elevators that the, uh, the South Africans use can't hold whole vehicles in them. In fact, they do large vehicles. So you know, this is not a problem about getting hauling things up and down. But yeah, eventually they'll want easy, easier access to the dome. Uh, now there, there is the other, of course, the other situation that's happening in the Ross Ice Shelf, and that's global warming. There's, there is the potential that at some point in time, when you go down there, you will look up and realize, I can see water, and then I see ice. Because it's melting up, and it's melting, and the ice is, ice is flowing, and if, it, and if it starts getting warmer and starts flowing faster, it will definitely move faster around the, around the dome at that point, because the ice is loosening up and moving faster. And there's a distinct possibility, because uh, McBurno Sound... Has a, has a bay that opens up during the summertime and then it freezes back over again and then opens up again 
Well, every year it's going farther and farther south. And it's potential that eventually one of these days you can go look out there and there's open water over the dome. Luckily, the, sto- the, the, the dome will keep the water out. But now, yeah, you, you'll want that armored tunnel and hope, that, hope like heck it's waterproof and watertight at that point to get down there. Well, John, you don't have to hope like anything. If it's well made, that even if it does leak, you just pump the water out. Yeah, that's true. But it, uh, under 300 feet of water, that's, a, yeah, that's pressurized water. I think it'll be interesting because at 300 feet, you got a lot of pressure, water pressure at that point. Uh, but yeah, still, yeah, it, it's you know, it, 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 it's interesting because you don't really need to worry about making the. You just gotta make sure the end of the tunnel is in, is on the is inside the dome. You don't have to worry about making any seals at that point. It, the, the dome will do the seal for you. Ultimately, the the best solution is for someone to find the switch and turn the dome on to full. Now, I have no idea how far the dome will go at that point. It might just cover half of a White Island for all we know. You know, and it's flattened everything out, and boom, you have tropical paradise in the Antarctic at that point. If we're talking about our standard storyline, that's not going to happen by FD2. No, that'll happen. So, so let's talk about what's going to happen between the discovery of the portal and FD2, because that's the topic we're, for our, our podcast tonight. So Hatsumi Base, well, in the first year, in the, in the, actually in the first summer, because that's when you have this only time you have time to do things. They basically will probably be making the sh- the vertical shaft because that's the quickest, easiest thing to do. Drills and explosives. This pie guys, there's probably plenty of, e- of both at McMurdo Base, and they'll be doing the vertical shaft down to down to the dome. Probably not over the top because that's probably all cracked ice. Probably on the side because even though that's deeper, that's ice is less cracked from going over the dome. Well, you can't put it over the top. There's no opening to the dome on the top. Remember, the opening was at the opposite side of the portal. Yeah. I never envisioned the dome as being actually a physical object. I've always looked at it as being, a, like you said, an electrostatic barrier. There is no opening. What you have is it's a barrier that keeps, keeps water and ice out. Well, that's fine. Yeah, you can still walk to the barrier. It's just there was the crevasse there. That Sayuri and then later the rest of the team was able to s- squeeze through, and they ended up in this underground. Yeah, I always felt that there was there was an opening that people could go through in the electrostatic dome. Yet it would keep out environmental things like water and other type things like that. But it allowed, it was one small section that people can pass. People and, and and large objects, solid objects, could pass through, but not ice, not water, not air. You know, because it, it provides all the atmosphere you need inside. Wow, this is something I think we never talked about during the design when we were doing this design phase. Because I always assumed that the dome was completely semi-permeable to to everything but water and ice that you could p- pass through anywhere. No, I've never thought of it that way. How about you, Trap? Well, I mean, I've I've thought about it. and I just I was like, okay, they come through the dome. And at first I always thought, yeah, well, there's an opening in the dome itself where the crevasse meets it. And I realized as I've, you know, worked on this game and I've thought, no way, man, it's a solid electrostatic construct. People can walk through that barrier, but the environment stays within. That's what the electrostatic barrier keeps within, your atmosphere and relative temperature. 
I mean, the question is, did you ever think it had a single opening, or was it you could pass through anywhere in the dome? Which way, Did you think it was just one place you could enter the dome and every place else you couldn't pass through? Oh, no. I, I thought that you would just pass through the barrier, and, of course, when they first got down there, they probably wouldn't feel a barrier. They would just walk through and think it was just open air. This crevasse leads to this perfectly domed area with these alien buildings underneath. So what about you, Amber? What's your thoughts? Uh, you're joking, right? No, I mean, if you're designing a dome and you want people to be able to get into it, how do you want it? A dome for people to get into? Hatsumi Base, the where the station is, there's a bunch of old buildings, and there's a ground, and there's you know old trees and stuff, and there's a big electrostatic dome over the top of it, and people go through the side of it. That's how they originally got there, is they went along a crack in the ice, a crevasse and went right through along the ground of the underwater base. So how would you envision that? Do you see that as there being an archway they went through or did they just happen to walk through a crack in the ice and they found themselves walking out in the open? In your mind, how do you envision this as being the most interesting way? If there's a dome, I guess I wouldn't necessarily see them going straight from the the crevice in the ice to the dome. I'd think that they would come up to the dome and maybe uh, like a ladder or something that is texturally, if that's a word, built Mm. into the dome for you to get to the entrance on top to avoid creatures like, like the seals or like anything else from being able to wander inside. So you think there was some kind of a of a ladder to climb all the way up to the very top of the dome? Not necessarily to the top, but probably somewhere near such. And then inside there might be a balcony with a stairway leading down into it. More it's just a means of making sure things don't get into it that can't really aren't supposed to. So you basically you imagine an actual physical dome. At this point, yeah, not a force field, which is how it's depicted. Yeah, because it's always been depicted as a force field. In fact, I'm looking at page 47 of the uh, 93 book, untouched by millennia of of Antarctic ice, the Tamilan complex rested, protected by an electrostatic barrier that kept the ice from crushing it. Well, it is saying that there's a dome protecting, saying that the ice can't penetrate. A force field, yes, but it doesn't necessarily say that there isn't something, a means, a barrier on either side. Maybe if there's a crevice that leads straight up and is pressing against the force field, what, what I'm seeing in my head is probably a ladder that is built into the side of the crevice for you to climb up to it to reach the top, and then there would probably be... A, like a, a, an archway of something. But I wouldn't think that it would be down in the crevice. That's interesting. Uh, that's why we, we like having you here. We want you to give us your ideas, you know, that are different than what we've been, you know, used to all these years. Uh, and that could be happen if the electrostatic dome was, in fact, a hard surface. Well, does it necessarily... It, it can't be touched because I, I understand I understand that the ice can't penetrate it but maybe it that, that's only one material ice is water it is solidified liquid what about metal maybe there's a like 
a two-way ladder that's halfway on one side of the portal or uh, on the uh, barrier, halfway on the other. So it's perpetually stuck in and stuck out. Can't pull it out. Can't pull it in. It's there as part of the dome. Yeah. All right. I was looking if there, if there was going to be an opening, it'd be actually where the road was going to, through. If that if I was going to put an opening, it'd be right there on the road. And the best we can tell, the opening was off to the side, not aligned with the road. In fact, the tunnel doesn't go to the road either. The tunnel actually in the map depicts is on the side, off the road. So more or less pointing back to where it came from. I wish Richard was on because we could just ask Richard. This is showing the base as of Fringe Discovery Plus Two. It doesn't show where the original Hatsumi team went through the thing. As you said, John, they could have passed through any place along the side. But it could be that since that's the part that's that's nearest White Island where they would put the tunnel eventually, that's where it's going to be depicted on the map. That's all. Yeah, and that's probably why I put the shaft, too. I mean, to be honest, when I wrote the short story that, that talks about it, the, the crevasse was pointing toward White Island, and I was going to put the shaft put in the same place. In that same location, because that's where we came through. That's where the access point is. And if I was going to do a vertical shaft, it'd be right down there. Uh, so it's right next to the where we came through. And because the, the ice is not humping over the uh, the dome at that point, and we then have access to the inside of the dome. Well, enough about the dome. We had originally a tent city. They borrow a bunch of generators and such. How long do you think it would take for a sizable? naval presence to appear out in the Bay of Hatsumi. British and Australian Navy, probably, because they're the ones cruising the water, those waters. All those people are going to send a large force to support their people, because as you said, there's only one real base and that right there, and that belongs to America. So everybody else is going to have to have some kind of a mobile support that they can fly ships on and off of. And I figure some of these large, if, if they aren't aircraft carriers or they're not battleships, at least some of the larger cargo ships would start appearing out there into that bay far enough out, of course, that they're free of the ice. Yeah, yeah. and I also will add there'll be a few submarines out there as well, but no one will know about them because they'll just stay, you know, they'll stay shtum. British, American, and Soviet, maybe even Chinese, oh, no, sorry, Russian, and maybe even a couple of Chinese submarines out there cruising around just for protection. Are you sure there's none from Canada? Canada's got a couple, but I doubt they come down that far. <laughs> well, it's just there happens to be a particular Canadian submarine that's of interest to us currently. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the new incursion, too. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That was a Russian sub that they purchased. I just wonder if they might have done a shakeout cruise. Yeah, and Greenpeace would be down there. Right, as you said, there's going to be a whole lot of ecological groups that are going to be chartering boats if they haven't already done so to go out there and start forming a human chain around the lagoon where the seals are. Because McMurdo Base, during the open water time, it's also a destination for Antarctic tourists. They will not be bothering to fly into Antarctica. They don't get off and want to go over to see the new base being built. So you will have tourists showing up. Oh, sure. All, all of your rich people, your jet setters, are going to want to get outfitted to go down and be the first of their close-in group to be the ones to, to touch the portal. Oh, you know full well that the military is going to keep them a nice distance away. You're going to be lucky to see if with binoculars at best. 
people who are connected to uh, politicians, as you said, John, this is very political. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who have no business being over there are going to get day passes or even an hour pass to go and do things. There's, there's going to be a lot of influence trade back and forth. This is the biggest, hottest thing that's happened in human history for hundreds of years. And I'm going to say this right now. Every bit of uh, new construction that's going to be shipped down to Antarctica or even fully constructed uh, Antarctic HABs are being actively sought out and money is being paid out for them. Various spaces need upgrades or they're planning on expanding. Here it shows up the UN saying, we want that. We'll pay you three times what you got the cost for it, right? So we can have that have as the ship down has to be base. I mean, it's going to be a, a weird collection of everything from South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, South America, and they, of course all be incompatible in terms of power requirements and like that. So there'll be a, a, a tick keeps to light making the things work together. To start out with, I mean, you know. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And speaking of that, there's going to be a, a need for a lot more connectivity down there. I mean, I know that Google Earth has pictures of the White Island and McMurdo Base and stuff like that. But I mean, what kind of satellite access and communications are really available down there? Glad you asked. McMurdo Base actually has uh, access to one of the geostationary satellites. Basically, they have tower. They have antennas that are pointing up to one of the geostats over the Pacific Ocean, so they're using that for connect for connectivity. Now, it, it handles basically like Hawaii and a few islands out there. It never had the bandwidth, so at this point, there'll be a mission to launch bigger a bigger geosat for that location to handle the up- upcoming traffic. Because you know, people want real time. You know, in fact, we even mentioned in the uh, in the story, they instead of a webcam, that was broadcasting. To the world. What about the possibility of taking one of those offshore cargo boats and putting a big balloon or a dirigible, some kind of a large communication relay, and relay it over to some place like Australia? That's possible. How high would that have to be in order to do that? <laughs> uh, let's see. Australia is a fair is a fair bit. Um, you know, I'm going to call Google Earth and just measure how far away that is. <laughs> Because okay. I'm just thinking that that would be the biggest solution for getting wideband down there would be just to bring in a large booster unit and just put it up in the air. The South Pole has to bounce their radios off the ionosphere to get communications out. I mean, they're, they're completely isolated because they can't see any of the satellites. That's how they communicate with the other bases in the Antarctic, right? Yeah, that's correct. And there's McMurdo. And let's see, there's Australia. Let me get my measuring stick out. Where's the measuring stick? And there's the measuring stick. So from Hatsby Base, there's Tasmania. So if you want to get to Tasmania, it's 2,600 miles. Okay, so about how far up do you think you'd have to put a, a relay station to be able to relay over there? I have the Google Earth up, so I decided to zoom out, and, and then I just look at, I'm looking at the curvature of the, of the Earth. It's in the way. The Earth is in the way between uh, Hatsumi Base and uh, Tasmania and the island of Tasmania. The boat only has to be in the middle, you know. Oh, if you want to put the middle? Yeah, of course, John. I mean... Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to put it over by uh, Hatsumi, by the island. No, the whole point of it is relaying the signal. It's not, you know, it's not to put the, the package right there at Hatsumi Base. 
I w- uh, it wouldn't be one boat. I'm going to say it'll take two boats. Well, you could still daisy chain it across a couple of boats then. Yeah, yeah, a couple of boats could do it. You could actually, or you know, or even uh, tow in some oil, oil platforms to set them up and let them sit out there. You don't want to spend the money to put a $50 trillion, billion-dollar satellite up, which, A, takes time to develop, B, it has to get launched, all that stuff, when you can do it with a couple of boats and some dirigibles. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and New Zealand's actually closer, so I do it between, between Hatsumi and New Zealand. Okay. So now we got broadband. You know, So how long do you think it'd be to set all this up? Six months? Originally, it happened in the summertime, you think they'd be able to do this really quickly, or they'd have to wait till the following year in order to be able to set this up properly? After Sayuri comes back and the uh, military presences show up, they're basically going to be working on getting access to the dome, setting up a base, using whatever communications they can get. But don't you think that the major news networks and stuff like that are going to want to have a really big presence there, and they're not going to do everything they can to get this kind of connectivity up and going? So you're talking like the the balloon stats are kind of experimental. So I can still see them being used. Boats being parked out there and the balloon stats going up. There's a couple guys who are designing lighter than aircraft whose entire purpose was to act as relays. That's why I said dirigibles. Oh, I thought you was, I, I was imagining a, 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 a balloon, uh, imagining a balloon on a tether. But these actually would be self-powered. It just has to be able to deal with the vagaries of Antarctic weather, that's all. The ones I'm thinking of go up above the weather. They actually operate where you would have to wear oxygen masks if you were on, on board. Okay. So they're, they're really up there, and they could then operate, you know, as relays to uh, there. And, yeah, I, I can see this, these guys building them as fast as they could. Definitely within a, a month of Discovery of Hatsumi Base, we have full broadband, color television, high-def, capability, internet, all that access to anybody who's there being sold at a premium or on a priority basis. Yeah, compared to what they had before, this is this is much better con- connectivity, yeah. As you said, John, all kinds of money is being thrown there. So what do you think, Amber? If you had unlimited money and you wanted to do something down at Hatsumi Base where this portal was done, what would be the number one thing you'd want to be doing to make money or really promote your cause? To promote the cause? Anything that has to do with Hatsumi Base is going to get all kinds of airtime, no matter where it is. So you know, so there's going to be all kinds of people riding its coattails. If money wasn't an issue, I'd run campaigns that are a bit similar to how presidential campaigns are run. Travel the country and get the word out. About what? What's your cause? Are you working toward the direct discovery and investigation of the fringe portal, or are you using this as an opportunity to do something else? Well, I think it would have to do with the fringe portal, because if I remember right, we don't have very many people that are fringe-worthy. Right. If with the fringe portal there, and if interest builds, we also have an opportunity of finding even more people who might be fringe-worthy. So you don't think there's going to be any production companies that decide to suddenly film a movie down there? Someone try to start mining White Island and sell mystic rocks that are connected to the universe? This is in Antarctica, right? Yeah. Yeah. How far into Antarctica? Because at some point, wouldn't the cold be an issue? 
well, this is the summertime of Antarctica we're, we're talking about. So the, it gets down to like negative 10 at night, but during the daytime, it's probably up in the 20s. Well, it's daytime all the time, but yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that cold have an effect on machinery and equipment? And, oh, and yes. We have to deal with that anyways. If you have to dress up to keep warm, that's going to be an inconvenience to anybody who's on staff for making a movie or a production down there. So it doesn't really seem like the most logical way to go about it. Wouldn't it be a great way of promoting your movie? I mean, you could say you could go down there and do some principal photography and then go to a sound studio and fake it for the rest of it and say, you know, rebuild uh, the, the, the tent city at Hot City Base, and do all the stuff where the actors and the highly paid actresses are complaining about it, but still go down there and do a lot of filming. But I just figured that everybody would be trying to get, you know, use this really crazy thing that's been discovered as a means of making everything that they do more important than anything else that's happening. Oh, there'll be people who will be trying to trap White Island Seal to show these are special seals. They've been close to the interdimensional thing. So, of course, yeah, there'll be people poaching seals. I mean, all the people that have been waiting around for the aliens to come back, and it turns out there's a portal to the aliens. The spaceships aren't going to arrive. We've got a portal. <laughs> all we have to do is figure out what it takes to make somebody fringeworthy. I mean, don't you think there's going to be people down there, you know, trying to figure out what cosmic confluence is necessary to turn your average Joe fringeworthy. And that brings up the other religious kook. That is the portals of hell. Satan's portal. Oh yeah, you're going to deal with all the organized religions losing their minds. Just the fact that there's other dimensions. And I do not want to get into a religious cheesing match. Yes. (laughs) You're going to have all of your organized religions basically set on their ear because they say, okay, you know, Christianity, you have earth, you have heaven, you have hell. Okay, this new place. This has not been described in the Bible. It's not in anybody's Bible. Right, exactly. Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, uh, Shinto, Buddhism, Judaism, they're all just... You're going to have the radical elements in those religions losing their minds. They're going to be sending people down there. You're going to be having probably, not expedition, I guess expeditions from like the Vatican. The Vatican is its own country, people. It is considered a city-state. And they have their own air force. Right, yeah. So it's (laughs) like they're going to be sending people down there to check this out. The Vatican already has their own astronomer, Brother Guy, Pip might have seen him. He comes to PenguinCon every year. So if they have an astronomer, you know they've got other scientists that they're going to send down there to check this out. Not only just for the scientific veracity, but, okay, how is this going to conflict with church doctrine and what's been written in the Bible and whatnot? Well, I don't see about conflicting with church doctrine. is it Because the Catholic Church, if anything, is probably a lot more amenable to discoveries like this than other other more um, radical or more more side you know religions. I would say Catholic Church will take about ten years to sign on, the, on what's what's going on down there. It won't rule on it for at least either one new pope or at least for ten years. 
Uh, John, we've discussed that this is political, right? This whole thing. But the Catholic Church, if they will look and study the situation before they actually make a decision. And politics will also play in the Catholic Church. It is a very political entity. Yes, it is. Okay, so yeah, there are politics. And there may be people within there that say, fudge the report or just we're flat out saying, no, this is not a good thing. You're going to have a lot of religious organized religious people naysaying it just because it goes against their doctrine. And that's going to cause a fervor because they're going to send people down there just to to rabble rouse and say, why are you down here? Why are you messing with this? It's not part of the universe as we see it. They might cause as much trouble as they are trying to help out and find out. Who is going to be guarding the dome and the base will probably be on rotation, because no one will want anyone to be there on a regular basis. Everybody's going to want to take a crack at doing it, even in the main story in Fringer of the D20. You had the Australians, you had the Russians, you had the Americans all, you know, facing off. But is it really going to be everybody, or is it really just going to be the members of the Security Council? Which I believe would be, let's see, it's the United States, Britain, Russia, China, and Japan, I think, are the five, or France. They're the permanent members, but there's also the rotating members who will get a chance. And right now, India and Pakistan are two of the members. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we all know how they're going right now, yeah. Both of them have nuclear weapons. That's why they're rotating members. I remember seeing the test video of the mountain and the foliage on it turning orange because they did a nuclear test under the mountain in Pakistan. Yes, I remember oh. seeing Jeez. I'm not joking, Pip. I remember seeing this within the past decade. Yeah. Just you see the mountains slowly turning orange. If you're going to stage who's going to come in, you have to make sure that when the Indians show up, they're relieving, say, the Russians or the Americans or the British. They're not relieving the Pakistanis and vice versa, because I don't want to be there when that, when that happens. Well, I'm sure that they're all going to be there at the same time. It's just who has access at that moment. So you're going to have Pakistani enclaves and Indian enclaves, probably right not, not right next door to each other, and everybody else. Everybody who, who can mount a mission and maintain it, or even ones that just come for a while and then leave. I mean, you're going to have it all down there. I'm not stereotyping anyone, but Pakistan is a Muslim country. There's a chance that the soldiers they bring down, some of them may be a bit more fervent about doing something about this problem. You're going to have fervent people and overzealous people, not only in religious capacities, but in military capacities, scientific capacities. You're going to have people who, they're seeing this and whatever they're bent on it, military, religious, scientific, whatever, industrial, because you know companies are going to want to get involved in this. There are people that are just going to lose their minds over the fact that, oh my God, we have found this. Companies, that is going to be the most political thing about this, because the U.N. has this tendency of, well, oh, they're Americans, screw them. Using European or using uh, someone else, they have a tendency to screw American companies over in the United Nations, uh, because they belong to America. And America is not on the best speaking terms with a lot of nations out there, folks. You'll see Toyota before you'll see GM delivering vehicles. You'll see Mercedes-Benz delivering vehicles before you'll see anything from Detroit. That depends on how well the, the lobbyists do 
GM can rent their own C60 or whatever it is and fly down their Jeeps anytime they want to. So they don't actually have to wait for anybody to give them permission, you know. The whole Antarctic is an international zone. They might be able to hold and say, okay, you can't come to the portal, but pretty much everywhere else on the ice sheet is free reign for anybody to do pretty much anything they want to as long as they don't get anybody cheesed off enough to do something about them. Yeah. Uh, I figure you're going to have people with parkas full of C4 throwing themselves down that vertical shaft to get rid of the portal to hell if for no other reason to get their 15 minutes of fame. That's true. That'd be also ones trying to figure out how to how to get a dirty bomb down there, so they can actually seal the portal forever. Oh yeah, yeah. If they can't get a nuclear weapon down, they at least get a dirty one. Wouldn't a nice fuel air bomb do just as good? <laughs> Bruce and his fuel air bombs again. <laughs> yeah, but see, a dirty bomb will pollute the very ground with radioactive materials. It'll take years to clean it up. Where a fuel air bomb. Make a big explosion, but then you can go back down there and everything's ready to go because the, the ain't gonna hurt the portal. It probably hurt the building, but it won't hurt the portal. It won't hurt the dome. Yeah, but who knows that, John? That's true. So the portal is invulnerable to damage? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's like a force field, Amber, so there, there's no known force that can penetrate it. Not the force field, the portal. The portal's inside the force field. No, but the, the, the ring itself is, yes, it's invulnerable. Oh, it's invulnerable. Yeah, the ring is entirely invulnerable. The kinds of energies you would need to destroy it would destroy the Earth. It would destroy the sun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have a big enough stick to to whack that thing. (laughs) Yeah, right, Pep. Yeah. Yeah. But no one's going to know that. Everyone's going to assume that somehow they can overload it or something like that. There's going to be people who are going to try... As I said, just for those 15 minutes of fame. So you're going to have a whole lot of crazy people to promote their cause. Make a big enough stink, people are going to pay attention. There's another invulnerability with my current playtest group. Two player characters are married. One has kids. Doesn't make me invulnerable. You know, if the wife got kidnapped or the kids got kidnapped or family relatives got kidnapped and then being held ransom to shut down the dome or, or to convince the person to do something to destroy the portal. So it could be a real powder keg down there is what you're saying. Yeah. And would it be is the question. Or with everybody who's trying to get along, be effective enough that you'd end up with something where you'd have little incidents popping off here and there, but mostly everything being kept pretty well under caps. Uh, I would. How about you, Trav? What do you think? The fact that this is public, as soon as this was discovered, it was made public. Boom. Everybody in the world knows. It's going to be a powder keg. You're going to have a lot of arguments, a lot of tensions going around because of, well, first of all, nationalistic. The military, various armies down there, they're all going to be strutting and posturing. And then you're going to have later the religious, the scientific. The fanatics. Well, yeah, the, the religious people who are overzealous about this. And as you add more and more of these elements, it's going to become a powder keg in many different paradigms, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a powder keg from jump. 
and it's only going to become more so in new and interesting ways with each different type of mentality you get down there. You stay with the storyline, then you toss in the Chileans and the ASA, or if you don't want to stay with that, you know, I would say the Chileans and the ASA are entirely optional because there's going to be enough politics going on as it is right now. You really, really need to add in the Chileans at this point. Well, yeah, because the Chileans, once they find that they have the portal under Easter Island, that's something else I was wondering we were going to talk about. Yeah. If they find the portal, there will be fleets of, uh, there'll be armies showing up taking the island from Chile. I would guarantee that. Well, it's Chilean property now. It wouldn't be Chilean property afterwards. I'm sorry. Then that would be an invasion and an act of war. Yes. A warm water portal? You don't have to deal with ice? Yes, they would. I would think at that point, John, the United Nations, they would go, okay, do we really want to sit there and take over Chilean property, send a multinational force... To take over a Chilean property, a Chilean territory. Okay, it's Chilean territory, but it is a UNESCO heritage site. So technically, it also belongs to the UN. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. John, I don't see someone trying to start World War III just because you don't want to spend enough money to build a base at Hatsumi. And that's what I'm trying to say, Bruce, is that they're not going to, the UN's going to go, okay, do we really want to send a multinational force to sit there and take this island because of this portal? One, that's expenditure. We're already expending UN resources setting up this, this temporary base to check this portal out. And then we're going to set, excuse me, another force to take this other portal. And also, do we want the bad PR? Yeah. From reading up on the current Chilean government, I would see them turn around saying, hey, you want to use this? Pay us. Leasing the island at this point. Because <laughs> they would rather have the money than having control. As long as you let us have access, hey, go right ahead. Just pay us a billion dollars a year for it. Thank you. Or whatever the, the price is. They'll just charge them for it. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the Chilean has, is no longer communistic. They're very capitalistic now. They would just turn around and say, pay us. You can have access to the island. Well, now, but in two years, who knows? Or whenever this is. Unless you were going to change the book, you know, the Chilean government has gone through a revolution and it doesn't want to share its toys with anybody. All right? And so, and yes, they are willing to, for people to go through their portal and pay for it, but they don't gain, nobody else gets control of that portal. They're controlling it themselves. And that's kind of like how we treat the Soviet space force. I mean, we're basically just renting our, ourselves flights up to our own, our own space station. I think that in a lot of ways, the Chileans get a bad rap for that because everything is so Cold War-ish as the way it's described in the book. I see them being very, very restrictive as to who can come near the island and such because they want to maintain control, because they know people could co- try to come in and take it over. Yeah. But I still see them being willing to give access to the portal for, I don't want to use the word reasonable, but market price? Yeah, a market price, you know, a billion dollars a person? I don't know. Which is one of the reasons why I think that Hot Simi Base could be kept open year-round, as long as, you know, we're willing to pay the money to have stuff fed through the uh, Chilean portal and brought over to the Hot Simi Base portal. Having Chileans in the ASA is entirely optional, because there's enough politics going on 
enough people, you know, walking around figuring their guns, you don't actually need to add the Chileans and the ASA to have fun on Earth Prime. There's just plenty of good old-fashioned politics going on to provide that. But if you do that, then you really need to shut down that portal, because if you don't shut down the portal, there's no reason for them to build a portal at Hatsumi Base. It's still a quarantine base because it's under the ice, but it may be only accessible from the portal at that point with no, no other way out. Yeah, it would be a very minor scientific base at that point versus what it is currently in, in, as described in the book. In that case, it would be a smaller base. There would still be a military presence because Lord knows what's going to come out of that portal, so there would still be a military presence. There may even be a uh, access to the surface, but it may not be as as the, the, the big tunnel. It would be like more like a, a small elevator or something like that. Something that, that, that basically you can easily close off if you need to if something bad comes through. If you have a warm water portal, you'll want to use it because it would be a whole lot easier to get access to everything. And, and that guarantees year-round access. Uh, even in bad weather, it still guarantees year-round access. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And having year-round access is probably worth the price of paying the paying uh, rental fee for, for the island. As long as you have good enough relations with the people who hold it yes. in, in order to get that access. And it yeah. would have to be a business transaction. If you go in with any type of look of, you know, coming in, being a ground pounder, you know, trum, 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 and, you know, and then saying, oh, by the way, we'd like to use your portal using a, what do they call it? gunboat diplomacy, yeah, the Chileans are going to be going, uh, no. No. And so if if I think that if you don't want to use the ASA, the whole ASA angle and the Chileans and the the African Socialist Alliance, I could see Hatsumi's relevance being lessened because of the Chilean portal being under the control of the U.N., yeah. It would definitely change the flavor of the game because the way I've always seen the game is Hatsumi's always been the prime base. Exactly. But later on, the Canadian and the Russian portals are later used down the line. When the Bahamas portal is discovered, they will move heaven and earth to find the ring station and try to figure a way to open it up at that point. But even the warp will become a, a major emplacement because that is warm, warm water. And I can tell you, Gordon Conrad will be sitting there on the beach drinking his pina coladas, waiting to go through the portal. Did you like pina colada? Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.